Well, good morning. It was a little bit of a crazy night last night, wasn't it? Wow, that was, that was incredible. It's good to be here with you this weekend, joining you here in live. If you are in Blend or if you're in Amped, great to be with you this morning. If you're out at Bearden with Nate and everything, good to see you out there. And Todd out in Roan County, it's good to be with you all this morning. We are one week closer to Christmas. And it truly is the most wonderful time of the year. And if I was Mark Hoffman, I would sing it to you. But I tried singing once in a message many years ago, and the staff never lets me forget, hey, you should probably never do that again. And so I'm not going to, so I'm just going to tell you it really is the most wonderful time of the year. But I have to tell you, the most wonderful time of the year in my world really can be summed up in two words. Not Christmas time, but boating season. That really is the most wonderful time of the year. Boating season is the best time of the year. Several years ago, there, I took uh, some staff that I was working with. We were on, uh, working together, and we went out to the lake. And at that time, wakeboarding was probably one of the most popular things to do behind a boat. Now, if you don't know, this is a wakeboard, okay? It's not as popular these days, but you get up on this board, and you cruise behind the boat going around 20, 21 miles an hour or so. And so, well, a bunch of us went out to the lake, we were wakeboarding, having a great time. Well, there was one girl on the trip who had never been behind a boat, and she sees us wakeboarding behind the boat, and she goes, well, I want to try that. I said, okay, go ahead. So she jumps in the water, she, she puts the board on, she straps it all up, and I give her my spiel, my best spiel as to how you get up on the wakeboard. I'm like, hey, you got to keep your knees bent, and, and the rope's going to go across the board, and the boat's going to hit it, and you're going to have to fight the water. I did, I did my whole speech. And this is what I'm thinking in my head. There's no way this is ever going to happen. <laughs> Here's what's going to happen. She'll try a few times. She'll fall down. She'll get frustrated and be like, ah, I'm not going to do that. So the first time she's in the water, I hit it and she just bloop, falls right over. And I'm like, here we go. And so then I circle back around, pick her up and we try to get her up the second time. And I tell her, hey, this time you got to do this, this and this. And she goes, okay, okay, I got it. And she's not that athletic. And so then, second time, no joke, I, she goes, I think I'm ready. Go ahead, hit it. So I hit it. She pops right up out of the water, and she starts cruising. And everybody in the boat, we're going crazy. We're cheering for her, and she's doing one of these things. If you've ever seen new people up on a wakeboard, they're doing this. And she's like got this big smile because she's doing it, right? She's a wakeboarder. Then she, you see the smile fade. And I just went, oh no, what's going to happen? And she's not that far from the boat. And she yells to the boat, what's the point? <laughs> and as a wakeboarder, you're sitting there, I'm like, what? I look at the other people in the boat, I went, huh? did she just say, what's the point? And she goes, yeah, what's the point? <laughs> that's, a, that's a profound question, isn't it? What's the point? There, there might be several of us in this room, even in this room or whatever venue you're in, you might be sitting here as we head into this holiday season and you might be going, what's the point? What's the point of this whole holiday season? 
What's the point of Christmas time? Is the point of Christmas time that you have to get the perfect present for your kids and you have to get the perfect meal prepared and you have to have the perfect decor and, and you find yourself at the end of it just going, what's the point? Or maybe it's not even tied to Christmas at all. Maybe it's just in your life. Maybe you're going, what's the purpose of it all? Because maybe you've driven hard and you've succeeded in everything you've done. You've gotten the family you wanted. You've gotten the house, the vacations, the cars, whatever it is. You've gotten it all. And at the end of it, you still are sitting there going, what's the point? Is there any purpose to this? We've been in a series that we started called Christmas Songs. And we're looking at psalms that point to Jesus. And today, we're actually going to be in Psalm chapter 8, where King David writes this psalm. And it is a fairly familiar psalm if you've grown up in church. And so, Psalm chapter 8, I want to remind us as, we, as you turn there, psalms are poetry. And poetry oftentimes is intentionally elusive. So if you read a psalm and you're just sitting there trying to pick out facts as if the psalmist is laying out just a a list of facts, that's not what a psalm is. A psalm is poetic. It paints pictures. It it evokes um, feelings and emotions as you read it. So Psalm chapter 8, we're going to see that today. And here's our big idea that we're going to see as we jump into Psalm 8. Christmas songs point to our purpose of representing Jesus in the world. Christmas songs point to our purpose, our purpose, and we're going to see this through Psalm chapter 8 and some other passages, has always been to represent Jesus in the world. So Psalm chapter 8 says this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babies and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Isn't this a beautiful psalm? It, it, it makes me think that King David, as he writes this, maybe he's, I don't know where he's at in this stage in his life, but it's almost like he's standing out under the stars and he's just looking up and he's just going, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And, he, and you see him reflecting upon creation as he looks at the moon and the stars and he's going, God, Yahweh, you did all of this and it's incredible. You get the picture that he's looking and he sees a pasture with maybe some sheep or maybe there's some oxen over there and he's going, this is all the works of your hands. David is reflecting upon creation. He's looking at the works of what God has done and he even begins to reflect on his purpose and the purpose of humanity in that. 
He's going, you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, but yet you crowned him humans with glory and honor that they might have dominion over, the, over everything you made. David is intentionally reflecting on Genesis chapter 1. Look at what, look what's written in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. And this is the creation account all the way back at the beginning. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and ev over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. It is here in creation that God establishes humanity's purpose. Humanity's purpose has always been to be God's representatives here on the earth. Humanity's purpose has always been to be God's representatives here on the earth. In Genesis 1.26, we see the blessing of God. He says, go, be fruitful, and multiply, fill the earth. So is that just talking about, hey, go and have a bunch of babies? Well, kind of. Kind of it was. But it's more than that. It's to live the life of blessing, and the life of blessing is to live in right relationship with God and right relationship with other people. And in so doing, when we live rightly with God and with others, we are representing God to the world. And that is the purpose of humanity at the very beginning of creation. But the problem is that we don't know how long it took, but we have Adam and Eve in this garden, and they were living their purpose perfectly. But we get to Genesis chapter 3, and a rebellion takes place, doesn't it? Something happened. Us being the very image of God to the creation was broken because of a thing called sin. The rebellion was that humans looked at God and said, God, we know how to do this thing. We are going to make a name for ourselves. So instead of being God's image bearers of saying, we're going to make the name of God great in all the earth, humans said, we're actually going to make our name great. So we began to look out after number one. Instead of making the name of God magnified, we said, we're going to make a name for ourselves. And that's what we did and in so doing, we were broken image bearers at that point. We no longer could live our purpose of representing God to the world. Why? Because the image was broken. But yet God was already moving in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. God's laying out the consequences to the humans. He's laying out, hey, you're going to have pain in childbirth. And, he, and he's telling the man, you're going to toil in the soil. You're going to have hardships. And death entered the world because of sin. And God is laying out the consequence to the serpent, the great enemy. 
And he says this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, as he's laying out consequences, he pronounces the first proclamation of good news all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 that God was going to do something about this rebellion. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And you might be going, how is this good news? <laughs> this is weird. He's going to bruise your head and he's going to bruise your heel. What, what is he talking about here? God is saying, hey, the enemy had a victory here. Now we have a very real enemy who's called the prince of the power of the air. Satan won ground here. And yet God was going to go, I'm already actively have a plan to do something about it. And it's going to come through the offspring of a human being. I like the way pastor and professor James Hamilton, who wrote a commentary that's been an influential commentary as we go through the book of Psalms. And he writes, in the promise of Genesis 3.15, God answered Satan's triumphant roar with a baby's cry. Isn't that a powerful statement? Satan had a triumphant roar. He won. He thought he was victorious. But God countered that with a baby's cry. Through the king from David's line, who will be a new Adam, David knows that God will reestablish his dominion over creation. God was going to do something about it. And we even see that in Psalm chapter 8, verse 2, as King David is reflecting on this. He said, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. David, as he wrote this psalm, knew that God was actively going to right the wrong. God was going to reestablish humanity's purpose. He knew that one day God, through the seed of the woman, was going to provide a Messiah, an anointed one, who would come and live the life that we couldn't, so that we could have reestablished purpose. He didn't know when. He didn't know how it was going to take place, but he knew that it was going to happen. He knew there was going to be a perfect human to come. And what's crazy is that as David writes Psalm chapter 8, there are truths of it that are true of all humanity, and yet you, you get this sense that he was pointing to something more, and he was. How do we know that? Because we go to the New Testament. We have the privilege of having both Testaments. And we get to the New Testament, and the author of Hebrews begins his book by talking about the very supremacy of Jesus. And then in Hebrews chapter 2, look what he writes, starting in verse 5. The author of Hebrews writes, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking, it has been testified somewhere. Now, I want to stop there for one second. If you have ever felt bad that you can't remember the chapter and verse of a certain thing that the Bible says, have you ever been there? You're like, you know, it says somewhere something like this. This is exactly what the author of Hebrews is doing. He goes, it's been testified somewhere. And then he quotes directly Psalm chapter 8. 
So don't feel bad about it. Author of Hebrews does it. it we are speaking. It has um, been testified somewhere, and then it quotes Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man. That's an important phrase. Jesus actually picks up that phrase. That's the title that he uses for himself. That you care for him. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present... We do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. And then he does this. If you don't know who we're talking about, he says, it's Jesus, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Hebrews takes Psalm 8 and blatantly tells us Psalm 8 is talking about Jesus. The one that David was talking about, a Messiah to come, an anointed one that would live the perfect life that none of us could live, the life that Adam in the very beginning in creation was supposed to live, to live out his purpose, he failed at it. Jesus came as the new Adam and lived perfectly what the first Adam couldn't do. It's Jesus. Jesus came and was the perfect image bearer of God. He represented God perfectly. The very thing, our purpose as humans in the very beginning, the thing that which was broken, Jesus came and did perfectly. Paul in the book of Colossians picks up on this. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, he says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and indivisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He was the perfect image bearer. And through him, look what he did, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Jesus is the perfect human. He is supreme over all creation. And through the reconciliation with Christ that he accomplished by shedding his blood on the cross, our purpose of humanity has been restored by faith in Jesus. Christmas shows that Jesus is the one who lived out humanity's purpose perfectly, and through his grace, he opens the way for that to be restored to us. See, the incredible truth of Christmas isn't simply that Jesus takes us to heaven one day. 
That's not the incredible truth of Christmas. The incredible truth of Christmas is that Jesus reestablishes our purpose in the world through his birth, life, death, resurrection, and ultimately his return. Through faith in Christ, our purpose is restored. That's good news. Do do you see where we've been? Are Are you tracking with me? Okay, Psalm chapter 8, David is reflecting on creation. We go back to creation. It's in creation that we find humanity's purpose, that we are to be God's representatives, to have dominion over this earth, and to be the image bearers of Christ in this world. The problem was, Genesis chapter 3, we rebelled. We needed rescuing. Jesus, the perfect human being, came, and through his life, death, resurrection, and ultimately his return, Through faith in that, our purpose is restored. That we now can be God's image bearers on the earth. This is the good news of Christmas. Now, I want to stop here for a second. Because some of you might be going, okay, okay. I get what you're saying. Okay, Psalm 8, we go to Genesis 1 and, and 2, and then we get to Genesis 3. We got the problem. Jesus is the perfect human. Through his life, death, resurrection, return, our purpose was restored. And you might be sitting there going, oh, great. That means I'm not doing something that I should be doing. Some of you might be going, great. Is this a Christmas guilt message where it's like, just chalk it up to another thing I'm failing at because now I'm supposed to be the perfect representative of Jesus in the world. Great. Failing again. Now, I want to I stop there because I, I want to just correct something. If, you are, if you're having that feeling of, oh, great, just another thing, add it to the list of the things I'm not doing right. That's not what I'm saying at all. So if you're walking away with that, that, hear me, hear me clearly. Representing Jesus to the world is not a checklist to do. It's not a to-do list. It's not just, oh, I got to try real hard. I got to, no, it's not a checklist to do. It's a life to be lived. You see, God knew that we, we as people, we like checklists a little bit, don't we? We like, hey, just tell me what I need to do. I can check the box and I can do it. You see, the problem is walking with Jesus is not a checklist. Did my live it out today? Prayed twice today, once before meals. <laughs> Did it, following Jesus. Following Jesus is a life to be lived. And the only way that it can be lived is by the power of the Holy Spirit that is in us. And a life to be lived is found as we continually surrender to what God is doing in our lives. And as we surrender to what God is doing in our lives, then what happens is, is that we begin to actually live a life of purpose, which is to represent God in the world. We won't have to keep stopping and going, okay, what would Jesus do in this situation? Oh, is this right or is this wrong? We stop asking that question. Why? Because we're walking with Jesus. And as we walk with Jesus, we begin to actually just live our purpose. And guess what? It actually becomes fun. Did you know that? Following Jesus is fun. My friend gets up on a wakeboard and she is 
She's wobbling down the lake. She's doing this thing. She's up there. She's barely staying up. And, and one of the things, what's crazy about a wakeboard is a wakeboard should always be like this with the boat. If it gets like this, you're in big trouble. Big trouble. I mean, you'll, you'll hit your face so hard on the water, you won't even have time to close your eyes. It's real fun if you're in the boat watching people do that. If it's you, it's not so fun. She's out there, right? She's wobbling behind the boat. But too often, that's how many of us live our Christian lives. It's like I got up, I'm hanging on, I'm connected to Jesus. He's the one that's pulling me, but I'm wobbling behind and I'm asking, what's the point? This isn't very fun following Jesus, following the rules. Man, this isn't very fun. Thinking about, am I doing it right? Am I doing it wrong? Am I, uh, it's not very fun. You know when wakeboarding becomes fun? Is when you, everyone starts out by wobbling behind the boat. You know when it becomes fun? Is when you begin to get your feet under you a little bit. And you're like, oh. And then you know the first trick you learn on a wakeboard? Going outside the wake. And you begin to lean a little bit. And you go outside the wake. And then you know what the next biggest trick is you'll learn? To come back inside the wake. You see, a wakeboard has a lot of fins on the bottom. And when you're first learning and you're wobbling, it's not fun at all. You're just trying to stay up and you are not actually utilizing the board. And you are actually, I would contend, you're not actually wakeboarding at that point. You're just standing up behind a boat. Wakeboarding becomes fun when you get comfortable going outside the wake and you get comfortable going back inside the wake. And then you know what you do? You get comfortable doing that. So then you begin to lean harder and you begin to use these outer fins here as that board gets up on edge and you really start leaning. And then you start going, you know what? There's more to wakeboarding than just going outside the wake and just carving around. Then you're like, I bet I can jump. So you start to try to jump, and guess what? The first time you jump, you you get if you can see the fins out of the water, oh yeah. Then you get comfortable doing that, and then you lean harder, and then you go, I'm going to cut even harder. And you cut as hard as you can, and you slam that wake, and you begin to fly. A couple years ago, I hadn't ridden this board in a while, and I thought I could still cut and jump the same way that I had always done. I cut really hard, and my kids are in the boat. I'm like, I'm going to show them their old man still got it, right? So I cut out, and I come flying back into the wake, and I hit that wake, and I launch in the air. And as I got in the air, I forgot how to land. And so then, here's the cool part about wakeboarding. You're going to land. It's just a matter of where the board ends up. And I land. I looked like a helicopter on the water. The board went, and my leg flew out of the board. One leg's still in the board. One leg's out. And I hit the water so hard. And I remember thinking as I hit the water, number one, okay, am I hurt? <laughs> what, is everything still connected? Is anything broken? And then I just started laughing. Because you know what? Wakeboarding's fun. 
when you begin to cut and you begin to jump and there's endless tricks that you can do on this thing. I can't do them, but there's endless tricks that you can do on this thing. And it's only when you begin to stop thinking about staying up the whole time, when you just begin to flow with the board and you begin to jump and you begin to land. And guess what? That's just like following Jesus. So often we have too many Christians behind the boat who are saying, I'm representing Jesus to the world and the rest of the world looks on and they go, that doesn't look very fun. It looks like they're just trying to follow the rules. It looks like they're just trying to stay up. They're not having any fun at all. You know what actually looks fun behind a boat is when you see a wakeboarder who's going outside the wake and all of a sudden he jumps and he makes it look smooth and effortless and it just, he's flowing. And you know what still happens? That when we follow Jesus and we begin to live and submit our lives to the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we begin to flow and we begin to do the things in the Christian life that are fun. And the world looks on and they begin to go, that's what following Jesus is about? They actually look like they're enjoying it. Yes. The Christian life is a life of enjoying Jesus. The truth of Christmas is, is that we can follow Jesus and guess what? It can be fun. Christians, laugh a little bit. When we get into this Christmas season, you know how we represent Jesus to the world? We represent Jesus to the world by gathering together with family and friends and having incredible meals together and laughing together and give and exchange gifts because we know the purpose is not about getting the right gift. The purpose isn't about whether the meal turns out exactly right or not. The purpose is not in whether the decor is just perfect. The purpose is that God dealt a blow to the enemy by sending a a baby's cry and that baby is Jesus. And so we can enjoy that. So we can step in to all the things that Christmas has to offer and we can enjoy it with a smile on our face because in so doing, we are representing Jesus to the world. And if we're going to represent Jesus, we need to actually paint an accurate picture of Jesus, don't we? I would contend that if we're following Jesus like this, just trying to follow the rules, we're not painting an accurate picture of Jesus. Because the Jesus I read about in Scripture, he's the Jesus that little kids loved to run to, didn't wasn't he? Can I just ask you something? If there's kids, there's a few kids in this room, maybe there's some kids. Um, Kids, do you want to hang out with somebody who's just grumpy and angry all the time? No. Kids know that. They're like, I'm not going there. If kids wanted to be with Jesus, was Jesus just grumpy and angry and sitting there going, follow the rules, follow the rules? No. Jesus was invited to the parties. He was invited to the wedding. You only invite people to the wedding that you want, that are fun at the wedding, unless it's a weird uncle, and you have to invite him. But the people that you have the option to invite to the wedding, you invite the fun people to the wedding. Jesus was invited to the wedding. And guess what? He pulled his weight at the wedding, didn't he? They ran out of wine. He's like, I got this. If we are to represent Jesus to the world, 
It's a life to be lived, and the Christmas season actually tells us that we can live it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the one who's working in you, and the Holy Spirit is developing the fruit in you. In Galatians chapter 5, we read about the fruit of the Spirit, and it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is this, love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Can I just, let's just be real with each other for a minute. Don't you want to hang out with that kind of person? You never walk away from somebody and go, that person's too loving. I don't want to see them again. I mean, unless it's like the weird kind of loving, like, hey, and you're like, whoa, that's weird. Get away from me. That's not love. Do you ever walk away from someone going, that person's too kind. Like, I don't want to see them anymore. I feel bad about myself when I'm like around somebody who's really kind. I'm like, I should probably be more kind. Someone who's full of joy. Is there any time you walk away from somebody that has joy that you're like, hmm, no. The fruit of the Spirit is a life to be lived. That's what this Christmas season is all about. So Christians, follower of Jesus, does that mean life is going to be easy? Does that mean that even, guess what, even when you begin to ride the wakeboard and even when you begin to cut effortlessly and you're enjoying it and you're having fun, guess what you're still going to do on a wakeboard? Crash. Crash. Even when you're walking with Jesus and you're enjoying it and you're cutting effortlessly and the world's looking at it and they're going, that's following Jesus. Even in that, we will still crash. But boating has metaphors for all of life. Even in the crash, you know what the boat driver does when you crash on a wakeboard? Turns around, picks you up. And you know what a good boat driver will do? Hey, try that again. One, we want to watch. Let us film this time. So in case you crash again, we want to. But two, get back out there. Go again. Boating has metaphors for all of life. When we are following Jesus, and you know what? We're going to fall on our face. We're going to crash. The rug's going to get pulled out from under us. And you know what? The boat driver, Jesus turns that boat around. He says, hey, get going again. Get back out there. Keep going. Christians, enjoy the ride. And in so doing, we live our purpose. So what do we do with that this week? What are our next steps this week? The first thing is this. If you've never submitted your life to Jesus, this Christmas season, it's a perfect opportunity. It's a perfect opportunity. If you are asking at the very beginning, if you're going, what's the point? What's the purpose of this life? You actually have a God-ordained purpose to represent him in the world. And the only way we can represent him is by living in a right relationship with him. And it's only by living in a right relationship with him that we can live in right relationships with other people. That is our God-ordained purpose. And when we live that purpose, it actually can become fun. Does it mean life is always going to be easy? No, but we can enjoy the ride. And the only way that you can live in right relationship with God is by trusting the perfect human being that lived the life that we couldn't, by trusting and submitting your life to King Jesus. That's what the Christmas season is all about. If you've never submitted your life to King Jesus, why not today? It's not some magical prayer that you pray. 
It's not something that, oh, I got to get these words right. It's simply telling Jesus, I submit to you. After the service, we'll have prayer teams up here that would love to help you with that. I'll be around. Uh, If anyone has a lanyard on, they would love to talk with you. We would love to talk with you about the next steps of what it means to follow Jesus so that you can live your purpose. The second thing is this week is we're going to be asking Jesus a question. And here's the question. And it's going to be in your live it out. That's the third next step this week is to live it out. And on Monday, the question is this very question. Uh, Jesus, where are you calling me to represent you? Where are you calling me? How do I represent you? We all have different arenas of our lives, the areas of our lives where we live, where we work, where we play. We have different areas and different situations where we are the image bearers of God in that situation. And so I'm going to encourage you. It's in the live it out on Monday. Please do it. But this is not just a, I checked the box. I asked that question once on Monday. Remember, this is a life to be lived. You might need to ask this question multiple times, even starting today. You may, if you're married, you may have come in here today and you may be in an argument. You are fighting in the car and then you get out of the car and you see the greeters, the church people, and they're like, good morning, brother. And you're like, it's a great morning. And your wife's looking at you like, what? We were just fighting. You may have to ask the question in that relationship, in your marriage, Jesus, how do I represent you in the middle of this argument? And can I just tell you, it might be by just keeping your mouth shut. Because in an argument, in a marriage, is there ever a winner? You may be right, but you didn't win. How do I represent you in this situation, in my marriage, in my parenting? Jesus, how do I represent you when I go to the office on Monday? Jesus, how do I represent you in the gatherings around the Christmas tables? Ask Jesus that question. Finally, we are going to be doing the live it out together. It is a great way to start the morning, to focus our morning, to go, Jesus, this relationship with you is a life to be lived. Forgive me for when I make it a box to check. So here's what we're going to do right now. We are in this moment going to worship the God who has restored our purpose through Jesus. And we're going to worship him together. So in all of our venues, in this right here in live, all of our venues, campuses, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And as I pray, we're going to, after I pray, we're going to go right into worship. Father, we come and we say, thank you. Thank you that we can enjoy the life that is to be lived with you. That living with you is not a box to check. It's not a rule list to follow. It's a life to be lived with you, and we can enjoy it. So, Father, I pray that we would do just that, that we would represent you here on the earth, and that we would represent you with a smile on our face. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.